0: And so, Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We, as we've talked about the last several weeks, we understand the sacrifice that your Son has made on our behalf so that we may have a better life, Father, so that our wholeness may be a reality, that, Father, we don't have to struggle with brokenness, that we don't have to struggle with selfishness anymore, that if we just turn our lives over to you. Father, one of the ways that we can do that this morning just very easily, very quickly, is to be able to come to you and just ask forgiveness for any sin that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Any mistakes, any problems, any errors, any things that we wish that we could have done differently, Father. Lord, we're just going to take a moment, each of us individually, to go to you and ask for forgiveness. Let's just do that right now, each of us individually. to our And Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and allow us this morning to come and to worship you, Father. We thank you for so many things that you've done in our lives, from giving us life to giving us an opportunity to know you, to giving us a redeemer who we can count on, to giving us hope in this life, Father, Lord, that life can be different. It can be more than just death and taxes and and all the other yucky things that we have to deal with. Father, we pray this morning that you would allow us to be able to move into better relationship with you, into a more whole form of life, Father, that you offer. And Lord, we pray above all else that you would just allow us to serve you all the days of our lives. Father, we pray also this morning that you would just send the Holy Spirit into our lives to guide us, direct us, point us in that right direction, bring us wholeness and healing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning uh, and next week, we are not going to have a video clip, and the reason is because we're going to do a special topics um, this week and next week related to um, the series that we just went through, we just finished that which was Jesus as sacrifice. And uh, so, I had a, uh, a problem, as oftentimes happens as we get around the summer. I had a problem with my calendar, um, as you guys know. I usually plot out all the messages I do in a year um, at the beginning of the year. And um, just to kind of keep us keep the, the ship, you know, going along uh, and not being like the Titanic, right? And uh, so the thing is, is that w- there's a couple weeks here um, where uh, the calendar got a little messed up, and so we're going to do a couple special topics, and uh, none of which relate very well to Hollywood movie clips, okay? Um, so today we're going to talk about the cross, and I know that this seems like sort of a, a, uh, maybe an unusual topic, uh, maybe not, we're in a church, right? But to just... Kind of focus on the cross itself today. You know, I was given a lot of thought to as we were working through Jesus' sacrifice. And for me, um, you know that every time we do, uh, every time I do a message here at BBC, um, that a lot of times I do the message, well, I got myself in trouble because people look at me funny sometimes when I talk to other pastors and I tell them, I do the messages for me. They're like, what, are you that selfish? No, it's not about selfishness. It's about that I want to learn as I'm going along too, right? And so one of the things that really uh, struck me and the message that I think really resonated the most with me is this idea that we talked about a couple weeks ago about ritual, right? You know, how ritual just kind of can run riot in our lives, right? And that, you know, we may start out um, at some point in our lives, Uh, making a decision to follow Jesus, or maybe that we were raised that way, and maybe we never made that decision. Um, But at some point in time in our lives, we get confused, um, or our human nature really kicks in, and we start looking to rituals rather than to having a really vibrant relationship with God. And uh, we look to, you know, the ritual, whether it be... you know, the ritual of just kind of never going to church except Easter and Christmas and throwing 20 bucks in the offering plate and hoping somehow that's going to get us closer to God, or the ritual of, as uh, a lot of times we talk about, um, is the fact that, uh, it's very easy to see some of the, the worst Christians, if you go to the average church in America, sometimes the worst Christians are the leaders of the church. Why? Well, because they you know, sort of have become calcified. You know? They sort of become very hard-hearted, um, and uh, they also are engaging in the ritual. It's just that their ritual is more um, regular. Um, than other people's rituals. So today we're going to talk about the cross, because I know that the cross is one of those things that can be, in our minds, a part of ritual, but we want to move away from that, okay? Um, We want to be able to understand this, and for some of you, this will be basic, and some of you, you've never heard this before, but that's okay, we're going to do it. All right, so our special topic today is, what is the meaning of the cross? I mean, if you go to a church, um, you probably see a cross somewhere, right? We have a cross right here, we have a cross on top of the building. Um, And a couple other places, I think, but, you know, sometimes you go to churches and there's like 50,000 crosses, you know, and sometimes you go to churches and you can't really even find the cross, you know, Um, and uh, what does it mean? What is the meaning of the cross for us as Christians? Uh, What does it have relevance to in our lives today? We're going to talk about three um, things that the Bible talks about as it relates to the cross. Now, instead of taking a passage and working through the passage, that's what I prefer to do. Um, Today we're actually going to look at several different passages because um, the idea of the cross has at least three significant meanings in the Bible. Um, There's other meanings that the cross has too, but I picked the three that I thought were the most significant. Um, And so if you have your your handout in your bulletin, you're welcome to take that out and follow along with us. Um, All the texts that I'll be referencing are on the handout as well. So we're going to see what the Bible says, but instead of looking at one key passage, we're going to kind of flip around um, to a couple passages and just see what the Bible says. First thing is, the Bible talks about this idea. This is the fundamental idea of what the cross is, which is the cross is the curse of Christ. The cross is the curse of Christ. Of Jesus, okay. Now again, this is the other thing that struck me because I know that when we do Easter, right, we, we we have our Easter services, we add extra services. People come in from the community, and it seemed ironic to me this year. Maybe in the past it had as well, but seemed really ironic to me because here you are inviting people in um, to celebrate someone's death, right? Of course, we know we're celebrating more than just death. We're celebrating his burial and resurrection as well. But it seems ironic because we don't normally think of having death as being the center of a party or something that we would invite friends to, right? Um, and so when I, the more I thought about this, the more I thought, you know, I realized that a lot of times in our culture that we have sort of whitewashed the, the idea of who Jesus is um, and as well as sort of the, the environment of that and the, the life that he lived and some of the things that he went through. Um, So the cross is the curse of Christ. It is not actually a positive thing. It's actually his scourge. It's actually his curse. It's actually the negative thing that he experienced um, in uh, being uh, the Redeemer. So let's talk about this. Um, First verse here. Though Jesus was God, it's from Ephesians, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Okay. So even though Jesus... Himself was divine, even though he was fully God, fully man, okay? He didn't say, hey, everyone, look at me, I'm God, right? No. What did he do instead? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in, in, as a human person, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, right? Because, of course, we remember that this is the way he died. It was as a criminal. It was as an enemy of the state is the way that he died on a cross, For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Now, I want to spend a moment here, because most of you have been here for the last couple weeks where we're talking about the difference, right? How Jesus was a sacrifice and how it fulfilled the Old Testament, right? Um, And so I want to just mention this, because the thing is, is that Ephesians here is quoting the Bible in both places, right? He's quoting the Bible. Um, Paul's quoting the Bible that basically it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And then he later quotes earlier in the Bible is through obeying the law that a person has life, right? Well, the problem is there's a nuance that's missing there in the English language, right? I mean, the original language, it's a statement that when a person has faith, that is life, right? But in the, if you look back in the original language, the nuance there is in the second passage Um, where it says it is through obeying the law that a person has life, it is through obeying God's commandments that it leads a person to life, right? That's what the nuance that's missing in the English is, okay? So we talked about that the last couple of weeks, that it's through faith that a person has life, period. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law, right? Because we, as we've talked about, we are under guilt, right? Last couple of weeks, um, from the curse pronounced by law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself what? The curse, right? So Christ himself was cursed for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And that's an idea that goes way back um, in that training wheels discussion that we had. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessings he promised to Abraham. And basically what that means is that basically all people in the world, doesn't matter their race, ethnicity, uh, skin color, uh, male, female, whatever, it doesn't matter because Christ was willing to take the curse Um, Of the cross for us. Okay, let's just start. And uh, this is the reason why I didn't show a video clip with this one. The cross was a terrible instrument of torture, right? I mean, that was basically the idea. Now, I know that a lot of times I do messages on, like, uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute, you know, loving your neighbor and uh, communication and fun things, right? So, we're going to have a few moments of unfun things here. Um, just as we get through this part right here. But the cross was a terrible instrument of torture. I mean, when you look at the idea of the cross, right, it is very whitewashed, very uh, sanctified, if you will. Um, it is very, uh, seems very innocent compared to the idea that it that it had in the ancient world, you know. And the, the interesting thing about the cross as being an instrument of torture is that for all intents and purposes, the cross was probably the most horrible Idea or means of execution um, that existed in the ancient world. Now I know today we could probably think of something even more barbaric than than what they did in the ancient world, but um, that was one of the probably, if not the most barbaric and heinous way um, to kill someone. It was a terrible instrument of torture. No one would have ever walked around wearing a cross around their neck, <laughs> you know, two thousand years ago, uh, because it would have seemed totally crazy. ...to wear an instrument of torture around your neck, right? I mean, somebody said it, uh, it's an old saying, they'd be like wearing, uh, uh, you know, in a little electric chair around your neck, right? Because, you know, it would just be seem totally crazy to someone unless, you know, today I know we have anarchists and nihilists and all these other kind of things, right? Uh, and Satanists, and maybe they would wear it, right? But for, for normal people, it would not be particularly normal. In the ancient world, crucifixion was typically reserved for political prisoners and former kings, okay? So here's what happens. Um, basically what happens is, is that um, in the ancient world, uh, at least up until the time of Jesus, the most common example of crucifixion was if you had a pr- political prisoner or a king who you have just deposed from power, that you would crucify them and then you would hang them on the wall or you would hang their bodies Um, on a stake somewhere outside their kingdom for people to see, right? So it was designed more as a way to scare people or to show people that you were a ruthless person um, more than it was a sort of a capital punishment in a sort of a mild insurrection case, okay? Um, Now, it could be used that way. The interesting thing is, and I, I didn't study the history of this uh, enough to say this definitively, but I'm going to venture a guess here, estimated guess, educated guess, um, which is the fact that after the time of Jesus or around the time of Jesus, for a while, crucifixion became very popular. Um, the world was very, very barbaric, especially right after um, right after Jesus came. Um, as you guys, as some of you may know, if you ever watch the History Channel, you know all of Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion, right? And they were, they were um, torturing people left and right there. Um, but the thing is, is that until Jesus came, I mean, it was very, very uh, unusual. It's, it was not very common. It was uncommon for someone to be crucified, especially someone who was basically a peasant. Um, does anybody know the person in the Bible who was crucified in a different sort of way, but still crucified? W- well, okay, but before Jesus, sorry, yeah. Would be uh, actually King Saul was, right? Because the Philistines um, basically hung him on their wall, um, which basically means they crucified him because they wanted ev- the Jewish people to see um, that you can't resist us, right? Um, although, of course, that didn't, it obviously, as we know, didn't work very well, right? Um, so the thing is, is that ancient tradition held that anyone who was executed on a cross was cursed by God. Now, this is really important, and some of you know this if you were in Sunday school when you were kids or whatever, but a lot of times we miss this idea because what happens is, is that as we go through our lives and as we, you know, uh, we come to church on occasion and you know, we we get the sense that, you know, maybe God is speaking to us right. And we have that struggle of whether or not we really are, you know, going to turn over all of our mistakes, all of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness over to God, right? We struggle with that because we want to keep some of the brokenness to ourselves. Now, see, this is where it becomes really, I think, really, really critical. Here's what happens with a lot of folks. You, me, all of us, really, if we want to get right down honest. We come to church. Right? We do our ritual. And we, 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 we come and we, we, we worship God and we say, okay, God, I'm going to turn my life over to you. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, right? And then in our minds, we see all the things. We know all the things, whether they're in our front of our mind or in our back of our mind. We know all the things that we struggle with and all the things that we do wrong, right? And so we say, okay, well, you know, um, uh, going out and getting loaded and gambling, I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay, I'm not gonna do that anymore because clearly that's hurting my relationship with God, right? But then in the that's in the front of our minds. But then in the back of our minds, right, we struggle with we we look we we know that you know we really shouldn't speak to our, our spouse that way. You know, we really shouldn't call our spouse names, right? But we've done it for such a long time and they just call us names back, so we just push that one to the side, right? Because that's that's just a smaller issue. It's not really a sinfulness, right? I mean, but the, the getting loaded, getting high, going gambling, we're not going to do that anymore. We, we're, but, but we still hold on to this issue of treating our spouse badly, right? But here's the problem. As we've talked about the last several weeks, that all of those things are still our brokenness, right? We may think that one is bigger than the other, but they're really not, right? Because our brokenness does what? It damages other people, It damages ourselves. The reason why it does this is because we are under a curse. I mean, that's what the Bible says, that we are under a curse because of our sinfulness. And it it stains every part of our lives, right? So the thing is, is that what happened was is, as we've talked about last couple weeks, with Jesus being a sacrifice for us, right, that when he went and he went to be that sacrifice, to be that mediator between God and man, right, and he took the penalty for all that we've done wrong, right, on the cross, then what happens? Not only does he get all the things that we've done wrong, but he actually gets the whole curse as well, right? I mean, the whole yuckiness of what it means to be a person, you know? You know when you wake up like at 7.30 in the morning and you got to go to work and you didn't get enough sleep and you just feel really yucky and you think, oh man, I I don't want to see my boss today, I don't want to see that yucky coworkers. you know? And just that yuckiness of being a person, right? That's part of that curse too, you know? That's part of that curse too. It's not sin, you know, I know we keep thinking sin is, you know, drugs or, you know, whatever, or, or, or adultery and stuff like that, everything that we see in the movies, right? But that, that's not sin. I mean, that's a part of it. But sin is really just everything that makes us not whole, not perfect, not complete, right? And so the problem is that's it's like a curse. I mean, that's what the Bible says, that we are basically cursed. And so when, 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 when Christ came, when Jesus came and was willing to die on the cross and, and be executed, and be inflicted by torture for us, that torture actually took away not just the bad things that we do, but it also took away all that curse from us so that we don't have to have yucky lives anymore. Now, I know that we'll struggle with it, okay? There's a difference between struggling with something, struggling with something that we're leaving behind, and actually living in it, okay? And actually being gone with it too, right? Because here's what happens. This is the way the curse works. When we are born, we are born into the curse, okay? This is me birth, death, okay, so when I'm born, I'm born into the curse, right, and so the curse is on me, and so there's really, because I am cursed, there's no way for me to get outside of that curse, I'm just stuck in it, right, I'm just, just stuck in it, think of all the metaphors you want, that's where I'm at, right, and so what happens is, I can go through my whole life, and you know what, Because I can never actually get rid of any of the the problems I have, you know, I can get all the money in the world. We'll talk about that in a minute. I can get lots of possessions and stuff, but it never really makes me happy. Again, we look at the tabloids. We see, you know, everything for Hannah Montana to uh, Paris Hilton, right? Not happy, right? Not happy. All the fame, all the money, not happy, okay? So because we are under that curse, right? So I can go through my whole life, and I'm still cursed, right? I'm still struggling with this. Now, what happens is when I come and I... face-to-face with God, right, and I say, okay, God, I can't take it anymore. I want you to save me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to redeem me from all my struggles, right? At that point in time, what happens? Is the curse completely, 100%, totally eradicated from our lives? Well, it depends upon what you mean by completely (laughs) and eradicated, right? Because in a sense, that curse is lifted from us, right? But we still live in the shadow of the curse. Because the problem is, the Bible says it this way, that we are no longer bound to sin. We, we still have, we still struggle with sinfulness, but we are not dedicated towards sinning. We're not bound to sinning, right? We're not bound to brokenness. So, so what happens, we're free from it, right? And then at some point, we keep on progressing, in the shadow, hopefully, as we walk through our lives, the shadow, shadow lessens and lessens and lessens until the time where we stand before God and there is no more shadow anymore, right? Of course, we know, just as a side note, that, If you know someone who's been a believer for 30 years and the shadow is just as strong over their lives as it was 30 years ago, that's a what? It's a problem, right? It's a problem. Because if the shadow is just as strong, then it means that something's broken there. That something's broken because it should changes now i see by our faces that that's not a pleasant conversation right because we all feel that shadow why because the shadow is always trying to pull us back right i mean always trying to pull us back okay so what happens is christ takes that curse upon himself right takes the curse and that is uh one of the reasons why he was cursed when he hung on the cross jesus cursed uh, god turned into our greatest blessing right we already talked about that i just i just walk through that just for a couple seconds here but uh, i mean for a couple minutes but basically that's what happened right i mean when jesus became accursed for us what did it do by hit by us when we stand here this moment face to face with god we decide that we want to follow jesus right we want to we want to turn over our lives to him we want to ask forgiveness for what we've done wrong for what we haven't done, for all those things that constitute our brokenness, our selfishness, right? That when we do what? When we turn that over to God, that the curse is lifted from us, and where does it go? Well, it doesn't just disappear, right? The curse, by its necessity, the way that to make the world fair and just, it goes over to someone else, right? Um, it goes over to Jesus. So Jesus is there on the cross, and all that curse, all the things that we are accursed with, because of our own brokenness, right? That it goes over on him. L- let me ask you a question. Let me just think about this for a second. Now, some of you may think the word "curse" is funny because you may think of, um, you may think of like New Age, or you may think of like hexes or magical stuff. And this is not really what we're talking about here. But the Bible does give at least one good idea about this idea of curse. Actually, it gives several ideas, but I'm going to just pick one here today. Have you ever thought, you know? Uh, when you're, maybe you're, you're correcting your children, or um, you're, you're in your marriage relationship, or even at work with friends or whatever, and you think, I don't want to do it this way because that's the way my mom or dad would have done it, and they were all wrong, right? Have you ever parented or done something in your marriage as a reaction against your parents? Well, we all have, right? Probably 90-some 90, 90 percent of us, probably. Or we think, when I get married, I'm not going to treat my spouse like my dad does. Or I'm not going to treat my spouse like my mom does, right? Or, or, or we may think, you know, uh, you know uh, my dad was in hair club for men, and now I'm going to be in hair club for men, right? And the curse is passed from generation to generation, right? Okay, no offense to all the guys who... All right. <laughs> all right, so, uh, so what happens is, is that when the Bible talks about this curse, the Bible talks about this curse as being something that oftentimes... It's passed down from generation to generation, right? Sins of the father, sins of the son, right? And we struggle with that, and we see that, right? Because as much as we don't want to be, and if you have kids, you know this, as much as you don't want to be like your mama or you don't want to be like your daddy, what do you do when you correct your kids? You find yourself doing what? What same stuff, what they did, right? You do. You don't want to sometimes, and if your parents are here, no disrespect to them, you know, but you, you don't want to. But you, you find yourself still doing that, right? And if you're here and you got your kids here and you're looking at them like, I hope they don't think that, well, you thought that way about your parents too. You know what I mean? And so what happens is this curse, but when Jesus took it on himself, it becomes our greatest blessing because it frees us from being a, someone who is undercursed, from being someone who is just in the shadow of it and who is hopefully moving towards being completely free of it forever, right? That we no longer have to be cursed, we can be free from it. We can be free from all those yuckiness and all the mistakes and all the selfishness, all the brokenness that's in our lives. So there's the irony, right? Because when we think about it, when, it you know, if you flip on the TV, you know how I feel about these things. When you flip on the TV, right, um, you hear all kinds of people on, you know, Christian pastors or whatever, quote unquote, on TV, and they talk about getting your blessing and getting this blessing, and you know, for a hundred dollars you can get this special blessing and whatever, all that kind of. Uh, uh, bull. Um, What happens is is that the Bible is clear that God's greatest blessing to us is free that no one can sell or give or doesn't have anything to do with money. It's the fact that Jesus was willing to be a redeemer on our behalf and take the curse of God on himself, right? Because while we were still struggling with our brokenness, that Christ died for us. That's what Romans says, right? And so that's the greatest blessing that we can possibly have. Uh, let, let me just read Colossians 2, 13 through 14. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, right? I'm talking about that bounding to it. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross, right? I mean, that's what he did. All the things that we did just got taken from us and just got nailed to the cross, right? But the cross that Jesus had to suffer on, right? Do you see it? See, all that stuff goes, gets nailed to the cross, but it's not just any cross, it's just not any tree, it's not any piece of wood, it's the cross that Jesus was on, right? And the pain and suffering that he, in, that he felt was because of our curses, okay? All right, let's talk about this too. I, we're covering some disparate issues here, but I really want to touch base with three issues today about what the cross means for us. The cross is the power of God. Let's talk about this. The cross is the power of God. Now, let me just go back for a second. Because if you were to ask someone in the the first century, first uh, first century B.C., first century A.D., if you were to ask them, like, okay, are you going to wear, like, a cross around your neck? They would all be like, no, that's crazy, man. I mean, that would be like wearing an electric chair around your neck, right? So then if you were to say, I think the electric chair is the power of God, right? They would think, "Wow, man, you need to, you know, start a cult over here in San Francisco or something like that, right? Something crazy, because it would seem really crazy, right?" The Bible talks about that as being, you know, God's foolishness in the uh, in the eyes of man's wisdom. Of course, that's a joke. Um, it's really the reverse. But but when we look at the cross, the cross is actually the power of God. Now that's kind of funny because we're going to talk about this in a second because Hollywood likes to do some fun with that, but it's not in pop culture. But we'll see how it works. Okay, so here's uh. St- here Paul was sent to preach the good news not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power let me just um, let me just find 1 Corinthians 1 okay that's what I thought all right so 1 Corinthians 1 okay so it's talking about Paul here wrote this but he's talking about himself okay so he was basically saying that this is what I did this is what God called me to do i was sent to preach the good news not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ will lose its power. Now, sometimes you get, if you've been in church for a long time, you get into these debates, right? There's churches who don't have any crosses up, right? And the other—and the people on the other side of the aisle, they say, well, you know, you're trying to use clever speech, you're trying to use all these tricks to get people in, you're trying to turn the church into Costco, you're trying to, you know, make it all about water down and just tickle ears. And that can be a concern, right? Um, but at the same time, then there's those people who put the crosses up everywhere, and they're like, you know, uh, just, you know, say all kinds of like, I don't know, equally crazy stuff in my mind. And what happens is this is not saying that we should not be smart about how we communicate the gospel. Obviously, we look at Paul, you know, Mars Hill is is a great example in the Bible. Remember when we covered that about a year ago? If you remember when Paul talked to the to the philosophers at Mars Hill, did he ever quote the Bible once? No. Who did he quote? Pagan philosophers, right? Because he was trying to speak to them in a language they understood. Okay? Um, so Paul here is basically meaning that when he says clever speech, he means being tricksy, you know, tricking people. That's more what he means. To preach the good news, not by tricking people, um, not by just, you know, making things up, but for fear that the cross of Christ will lose its power. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are hit for destruction, meaning, that they are under the curse, and one day, they, because we all know the world has to be fair and just, right? That one day will stand accountable for all, all the things that they've done wrong. But we who are being saved uh, know it is the very power of God. The cross is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Remember, at the time, that was the two big people groups, okay? The Bible is um, occasional. Let me break that down. It means the Bible was written for a specific place and time. We interpret it for today, but it was written for that specific place and time, especially Paul's letters, okay? So he was dealing with Jews on one hand and Gentiles, Greeks on the other, who were asking the questions, right? There were no Americans asking questions at that point in time. doesn't mean it's not relevant to us. It just means they weren't asking those kind of questions, okay? All right, so... He's basically breaking them down in two groups. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, right? Because they say, "No, no, no, God could never be cursed," right? And uh, the Gentiles, the Greeks, say it's all nonsense, right? Because we all know that gods are powerful, and you know they they you know like to sit up in uh, uh, not Hades, uh, like to sit up in heaven, and uh, I was trying to think of the Greek word for it, and uh, drink their wine and you know cavort around and do things like that, right? Um, but to those who called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we're talking here about the, how um, the cross is the very power of God. I'm going to turn here because I want to keep my fingers on um, Corinthians here as we walk, walk down through this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. The power of the cross is its meaning, not its symbol. Now, this is really, really critical, right? Because otherwise, we're tempted to follow into sort of a ritualistic path, right? First of all, let's talk about this, right? We know that crosses are good at doing what? Scaring off vampires, right? That's their number one most effective use, right? Um, We also know that crosses make um, nice, pretty images to put on our backpacks and you know, to, to put wear around our neck. We make them out of gold and all that sort of thing like that, right? Um, you know, and so the thing is, is that the cross becomes, into to many people's mind, almost like a what? like a lucky rabbit's foot, right? I mean, I've shared this story before, but um, let me just do it again because it's a good one. Um, when I was uh, in seminary, I knew a guy from Russia. His name was Yuri, and uh, Yuri had come over, um, and uh, he'd come to America, and I actually interviewed him for an article I wrote for the Baptist Press And uh, at the time, and Yuri had come over to America. He had a really fascinating testimony of growing up uh, as an atheist under communist rule, and then um, then discovering God through a weird series of totally random events, um, even still under communist rule. And so what happened is, is that Yuri would say you know, that the house that he lived in, his parents' house, they had a Bible, right? But it was written in Slavic, right? And so he couldn't speak Slavic. He could only speak Russian, right? So the thing is they had a Slavic Bible, <coughs> and they put it by the door. And what they would do if they had a bad day or they had a problem, they would just go by and touch it right? Rub it a little bit, you know, make the magic come out, right? And then they would go, and they would do their day, and they would do whatever they want to do, because they were hoping for a little magic, a little good luck, right? And so the problem is, is that when we look in our world today, the cross for many people is basically the same thing. It's just a lucky rabbit's foot. I mean, it's just something that we ward off vampires with, or that we, you know, carry around our neck and hope that it will protect us, right? We've all seen the movies where, you know, if we're uh, somewhere bad, um, and someone shoots or tries to stab us, you know, somewhere, not San Jose, but let's say we go, oh, I won't pick cities now. Uh, anyway, let's say we go somewhere bad in the Bay Area, okay, and someone shoots at us or stabs us. We know the cross is going to do what? The bullet's going to bounce off the cross, right, and we're going to be saved. if We bring a Bible even better, right, not going to pierce our heart, right? But the problem is, is the cross in that situation is, be, is being a lucky rabbit's foot, right? It's not being what it intended to be. Um, you, could pay, you can take electric chairs, you can take other instruments of torture, you can put them around your neck, and it's not going to do any good, right? Um, because that's not what it's designed for. So let's talk about this. The power of the cross is its meaning, not its symbol. We see these symbols, and that's the meaning of it, but not, um, it's, it's the meaning, not the symbol. Let's talk about what the meaning of it is here. Let me just uh, pick this up again. Um, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, how can we say that the cross, the message of the cross, is the very power of God, right? Because we can say that because it is not the image of the cross that matters, right? It is not the symbol of the cross that matters. It is the the message. It is the idea. It is the fact that God loves us so much that he would come live in our world for a while, and then die a horrible death and as a way of transferring the curse from our lives to him, right? That's what the message is, and that's what the power of it is, right? So if you see vampires, you're probably better off to say that to them rather than hold up a stick with a T, right? It's probably going to be more effective. Although I've never met a vampire, so I can't say for certain, so don't take me at my word there, okay? Just understand, all right? That probably, that's what I would think. The message of the cross is the very power of God because it is what does what? It has the power to remove curse. Wow, now we're getting Hollywood. They can make a movie about this, right? Because what happens is is that you have people who are going around under a curse, and yet the power of the message of the cross is to remove that curse, right? Hey guys, have you ever seen like a zombie movie? What happens in zombie movies? I know a lot of them are rated R, so I won't reference any, but what happens in zombie movies, right? The people are like, I gotta go to work, I gotta pay my taxes, I gotta make sure my bills are paid, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, my boss wants me to do this, my kids are calling me to do this, right? Right? that's what the zombie movies are like right and people are going through their lives doing that i gotta raise a million dollars i gotta have fully fu- funded 401k right and we go through our lives like a zombies and then what happens the message of the crisis uh, a message of the cross is what hey you're no longer under that curse you are free right and people they they wake up from being a zombie right they wake up from it they're no longer a zombie anymore they're no longer cursed they they can do what they're free They're free to serve God. They're free to not be stuck in their brokenness, right? That's awesome. That's powerful, right? So every time you see, to switch from vampires to zombies for a minute, every time you see a zombie movie, you don't need a shotgun. All you need is the message of the cross, and you will free people from it, right? Now, I say that playfully, but let's be honest for a second. We all know people who are strongly, strongly, strongly uh, under the curse of sin. Do Do you get what I'm saying right? really 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 and you 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 know you see people whose lives are really really screwed up and what happens sometimes when you speak to them the message of the cross in a short amount of time what do they do they move from being the zombies the vampires of the world to being what free right and that's the message of the cross that we are able to be free from all the badness, all the sin, all the struggles, all the brokenness that we have when we turn our lives over to Jesus. And when we speak that to people, we have the power to set them free from being zombies of this world, right? For being under the control of their own cursed nature. We set them free from a curse, right? That can make a really, like, a Christian B-movie, right? All right. The cross is a stumbling block for most people. But here's the problem, right? The problem is it becomes a stumbling block for most people because most people don't want to hear it. This is what Paul says here. Paul says this. He said, but though um, it, is, uh, let's see, it is foolish to the Jews who are asked for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. Um, so when we preach that Christ is crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's nonsense, right? Because it's a stumbling block, right? I mean, people are going through life cursed, right? And they struggle, they worry about, how am I going to get my million dollars? How am I going to get my big house? How am I going to make my boss happy? How am I going to pay all my bills? How am I going to do all this stuff, right? They go through life struggling with these things, worrying about things that are, you have to worry about, but are not the big picture issues of our lives, right? We, we struggle with those things, and then what happens is someone comes to you and says what? Hey, and it sounds like this. Hey, there's like a fairy in heaven, like the Tooth Fairy, and he's going to come, and you don't have to pay your bills anymore, and uh, you know he's going to leave you a quarter or two because he sent some guy, and this guy did something, and uh, you know if you just go to church and you, you sing bad songs and you do weird things, then the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny is going to take this away from you, right? And so what happens is is that people do what? People say. I don't want the Easter Bunny. I don't want the Tooth Fairy in my life, right? I don't want that weirdness. That's not possible, right? It's not possible. Well, if you watch the History Channel, I don't know what the History Channel says on this, but everyone, any, any historian, any professor of religion who, worth any salt, even the ones who don't believe in Jesus at all, still know that he was crucified. No one can argue that. That's a historical fact, right? Whether he was resurrected, now that takes some faith, right? But the fact that he was crucified, we all know that, right? I mean, it's, it's a historical fact. No, no Nobody, n- there's, I, I know no one. I know some crazy professors of religion, let me tell you. Believe me, I know some crazies, And none of them will deny that Jesus was actually crucified. Oh, they'll think that, you know, they'll, they'll come up with all kinds of aliens and all kinds of, well, they're not even that crazy. But uh, they'll come up with all kinds of theories and all kinds of other things, right? But the thing is, is that, What is foolish or seems foolish to people is really the way God removes the curse from our world, right? Something that's so simple that anyone could understand, right? And so the thing is, is that for many people, the cross is the stumbling block, right? Now, it's a stumbling block really for a different reason, though. I mean, I picked the big picture reason, but when we get down to the hard bit, why is it a stumbling block? Why do you think the cross is a stumbling block to most people? Well, it has to do with a curse, doesn't it? The stumbling block to most people, because first of all, there are some people who don't want to admit they're cursed, right? We know that. They get enough money, they get enough toys, they get enough possessions, and they're good. Or maybe they're just upper middle class, but they're good, right? So that's category number one. But then the most people in our world that, to whom the message of the cross is stumbling block, two or what? They know they're cursed. But they don't trust God to be the source of blessing for them. Now, why don't they do that? Well, there's two reasons. We can break, keep on breaking it down, right? Number Reason number one is what? Reason number one is they just don't want anyone else to tell them what to do. That's a lot of them. And reason number two is what? They don't understand that it's not about going to church, right? Because as we talked about last several weeks, what do they see? They see us do rituals, which they think then is the way that we connect with the Easter Bunny, right? But that's not the way we connect with the Easter Bunny, right? It helps us, you know? I mean, it helps us to grow, it helps us understand, but that's not the way of connection. That's not the way that we know God, right? Coming to church is not the way that we know God. Knowing God is through committing our lives to Jesus and being his follower, right? But they out there don't know that. So you're gonna run into people... Who, for whom the message of the cross is going to be a stumbling block. Some of them will not admit that they're cursed. Some of them will say, you don't understand, I've got more money than you, i got more toys than you, I don't need, you. I don't need your religion. Okay. And then some people that you meet, they'll say what? You know what? They'll say, I know that I'm cursed, but I don't want God to solve it. I'm going to solve it myself, I don't want to deal with it, don't talk to me. Mm, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, can't hear you. Right? That's what they do. You know, they hum, trying to get you to, like, they can't hear over you the hum, right? But then there's a lot of people out there, some people who you know who just don't understand that it's all about their knowing God and committing their life to Him, not about ritual, right? And it's to those people that we are called, especially, I mean, we're called to speak to all those people, but it's especially those people that we're called to speak to, right? The ones whose hearts are ready and open for God. So the cross is a stumbling block for most people, but it's the power of God, right? Because it frees us from the curse. It is the very power of God working in the hearts of people. And finally, real quickly this morning, the cross is the burden that we must bear. This is the third idea that the Bible talks about here, third main idea when we deal with the cross, is that the cross is the burden we must bear. Let's look at this in Luke chapter 9. Then Jesus said to the crowd, this is the gospel, so it's recording the life um, of uh, Jesus here, Luke chapter 9, then... Uh, Jesus said to the crowd this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me, right? Now, we won't get into the issue of the fact that this was before he ever went to the cross, which is kind of weird, you know, as it were. But um, the thing is, is that that's also kind of weird. Take up your electric chair, follow me, right? Okay, all right, everybody see the irony? Okay, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but if you yourself uh, are lost or destroyed? And so here's where Jesus says, listen, if we're going to follow God, then we have to take up our cross. Here's the weird thing. Jesus says we must torture and execute our brokenness. Right? That's kind of weird, isn't it? See, let me me mention why this is weird. If you say you want to put something to the cross you're saying you want to put it to the electric chair, that you want to torture it, you want to execute it, you want to, with all vengeance, get it out of your life, right? Yes, that's a pretty disgusting idea, right? And so when we read what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look, all of your selfishness, all your brokenness, all your sinfulness, then you have to torture it, execute it, and get it out of your life, right? Here's the thing. This idea is directly at odds with all of the self-help gurus of the world who say what? Deepak Chopra, Oprah, those guys, who say we have to love and feel good about our brokenness, right? If we just massage our inner child, right, and feel good about our brokenness, then everything will be okay. Okay, maybe that looks weird out there. I don't know, I won't use that next service. But... This is the reason why the message of the cross is directly at odds with the wisdom of the world, right? Because the wisdom of the world says that, you know what, you're good enough. I'm going to mess up Stuart Smalley here. But you're good enough, and gosh darn it, people like you, right? That's what it is, right? That's the wisdom of the world, that we can improve ourselves and be good enough on our own. But the folly of that is that we can never actually do it because we are under a curse. But the message of the cross, the power of the cross is that you don't have to do it yourself. And this is the reason why it's stumbling block, because so many people want to feel good about their brokenness. Listen, when, I, you guys know I have a three-year-old boy, right? My, uh, I don't know, six-month-year-old daughter is not really up to this yet. But, but Wyatt will do what? I mean, when I tell Wyatt that he needs to get in the car because we're going to go, but he wants to stay and play with his toys, What does Wyatt do? Does he get in the car like most three-year-old children? What do most three-year-old children do? No. Does he get in the car? What does he do? Sits down and cries. We call that a what? A pity party, right? We have a pity party, right? We feel bad about ourselves. Now, at work, you've never seen an adult have a pity party, have you? All the time, right? Unfortunately, right? Right? And so that's why the message of the cross is really at odds with how we feel in the wisdom of the world, right? Because we feel and we are told that, you know what, you deserve a pity party today, right? You deserve to feel good about yourself. You deserve to be okay. You deserve to be all you can be just by working at it little bit by little bit, right? And that's the reason why the Bible, and Jesus specifically, uses such dramatic words because he wants us to realize that that is a fallacy. That's foolishness compared to God's wisdom, right? Because God says, listen, you will never be able to get rid of the junk in your life by building on it a little step at a time. You have to put it to death. You have to execute it in your life. You have to, with all vengeance, okay, think Dirty Harry, 357 Magnum, right? You have to, I don't know if he had 357. You have to, did he? Okay, so you have to execute that in your life and get rid of it. And that's the power of the cross, right? Because when the curse, when you see the curse, that zombie, that vampire coming at you, and you shoot it dead with your gun, you executed it, right? Because you're saying, I don't want that anymore. And when we do that, how do we do that? How do we pull the trigger? When we go to God and we get down on our knees, I know that's a ritual, but we get down on our knees and we say, God, I can't do it, but you can. That's what we've done. We just pulled that trigger. When we say, God, you are God and I am not, you are without sin and I have sin in my life, please forgive me and set me right. And that when we do that, the curse moves from us to who? Jesus, right? Jesus takes that curse on his back, is willing to die and remove that curse forever from our lives. Real quickly here, after all, people will say, we're only human, right? And that's why we can't do it, and God can. Last idea, we must lose a not-so-good life in order to gain the best life. That's the truth, right? Because what we're doing is we're saying we're going to terminate a not-so-good life in order to gain the best life possible, right? That's a good trade-off. I know many people are afraid. Many people are afraid, and they'll say, well, I don't know, I don't want to do this. But we get rid of the yuckiness in exchange for that which God's best for us when we execute that sinfulness of our lives take that curse, put it on Christ. What he wants to do, he wants to bear that for us when we do it. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord. I know there's some people here maybe they've never committed their life to you. They've 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 just been going through rituals or going through being a zombie through life, Father. But Lord, I pray that this morning they would say, "God, I want to execute my sinfulness. I want to get it out of my life. I want you to be my God. I want you to be my redeemer, Father." Lord, I just pray that they would just say that, Lord, however words they want to use, it doesn't matter, but they would just make that commitment. Father, for many of us here this morning, Lord, we who call ourselves believers, we're afraid to get out of the shadow of the curse. Lord, we're comfortable there, we're, we're used to it there, but, Father, that we would just put all that aside, we would execute and get it out of our lives, move forward into light, Father, into the life that you have planned for us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.